Okay, well, this morning we are in our final study in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Acts chapter 28, as we have our final study in our Before Kings series. Now, we have learned so much through the study of the book of Acts. I mean, I can't believe that it has been over a year and a half since we started that book. I think it was the second week in January. I think it was actually January 12, 2014 uh, is when we started uh, the book of Acts. But we have learned so much. We, we learned of Jesus' ascension. We learned of the Holy Spirit being poured out on that upper room filled with the followers of Jesus. We learned of the birth of the church, the witness of the disciples, the gospel that came not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. We've seen the terrible persecution of the church as Satan sought to destroy it before it even started. But thank God that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And you and me today are living proof that that word that Jesus spoke is absolutely true as we are a continuation of what began in the book of Acts. How cool is that? That in 2015, on August 2nd here, we are a part of what we were studying here in the Bible. I think it's so cool. Now, we've read of the the labors, you know, that went into the church starting. We learned of the beatings and the imprisonments and the life-threatening situations, the weariness and toil, the journeys, and as Paul would say, the perils of the sea and the perils of of his countrymen and perils of false brethren, people sneaking into the church that weren't following the Lord, that sought to bring disunity and to cause problems. We've read about thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people giving their lives to Christ. We've read of cities being turned upside down, or or rather right side up. You remember, the whole city is following after Jesus. We, we remember, remember the, the baptism that came upon, and you remember that we prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon us on that Sunday morning. We've seen whole families come to know the Lord and bring their friends to hear about Jesus too. We've read of miraculous healings and the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon people groups that were far away from God, such as Cornelius and his family, the Roman centurion. We've seen people set their magic books ablaze because they now had the Word of God. You remember, false gods looking for jobs because there was no one left to worship them. We've seen the Gospel presented to the common people the religious people. And we've seen the need for us to be ready to do whatever it is God has called us to do, even going before kings. Even going before kings. And so this morning, we will have part seven of our Before Kings series. Now, in the Bible, just as a side note, there are a lot of different things that are used in a lot of different ways. And one in particular are numbers. The number seven in the Bible has always signified completion, perfection, completion. And I think it's so appropriate that, and only fitting that our seventh study in our Before King series would be our final study as we complete the book of Acts. Pretty cool how that stuff just seems to work out. So here we go. Verse 16. 
Acts chapter 28, the arrival to Rome. It says, now when we came to Rome. Now at this time, Rome had a population of about 2 million, and half of that were slaves, and half of that were free. So you had the very small and very elite upper class, and then you had a gigantic class in Rome of the poor and the slaves. However, Rome was the center of the known world and the seat of all earthly power was found therein with Caesar. Now when we came to Rome. Point number one that we're looking at this morning and we only have two points is God's promises come true. God's promise comes true. Point number one, Acts 23 verse 11. It says, The Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. All too often, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I can say all too often we forget the great and the mighty things that God has done for us. We rejoice in the moment. We bask in the blessings for a time, but then forgetfulness sets in. We become accustomed to the miracle of God performed in the past and forget how significant it was when we were waiting for it to happen. When we were praying to God, Lord, we're in desperation. Please help us. And then the Lord comes through with it and we're like, Oh my goodness, this is amazing. God, you're so good. But then we become accustomed to that. God provided and He took care of that and it doesn't seem as significant anymore. Don't lose sight of the promises of God even in the midst of difficulty or even in the times of questioning God's time frame compared to your time frame. Because so often we think, Lord, this is just not working out the way that I planned for you to work it out. Lord, this isn't just happening the way that I needed you, you know, to make it happen. Don't lose heart. Don't lose sight of God's promises. Because God's promises do come true. Forgetfulness may settle in because, wow, you know, God, you know, He provided for us yesterday, but what about today? What about tomorrow? I can't tell you how many people I've counseled that have had a severe problem with the the what-if syndrome. Well, what if this, and what if that, and what if this, and what if that? And it doesn't ever happen. Those ifs and, and those and that's and those things that they're worried about. But how often as Christians do we forget that, man, the same God that provided for us yesterday is going to provide for us today and is going to provide for us tomorrow. But we forget about the things of the past because we forget of the promises of God. Remember what the Lord has done. Maybe even you need to to start writing things down to remember how God has provided for you. I know that's been an amazing thing for me and for Ruth where we write things down. Put it on a notepad, you know, on your iPhone or whatever it might be. Remember when God answered this prayer? Do you remember when you were in a pinch right here and you had three days and it's already been nine months and it came down to that third to last day and the Lord totally took care of it? Do you remember that? Do you remember how you felt when the Lord spoke to your heart and said, I know those things that you need and I'm taking care of them. And you were reminded and you were just blown away. You're like, man, that was so awesome. Write it down. Don't forget it. Write every answered prayer down. Every miracle, every provision, everything that God has done. In Psalm 78 verse 5, it says this, 
For he established a testimony in Jacob, or Israel, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. How amazing is that? When we write things down and we're telling our children about those things that God has done. When we're spending time in the Word and telling our children about the things that are found in God's Word. We do so in such a way that will help them not only know and put their hope in God, but help them tell their children what we told them as children. When we look to the Word of the Lord, we are reminded of His character. In Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31, listen to this. It says, Have you not known, or have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There's a whole lot of fainting going on right now in the church. Because we're not waiting on the Lord. It's a whole bunch of, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm falling over. I'm falling down. I'm fainting. I'm falling. I can't get up. So on and so forth. But the Lord says, you wait on me, I'll renew your strength. You call on me, I will hear you. Be reminded. Remind yourself of the great things that the Lord has done and take hope and take heart and be encouraged. Because when we look to the Lord, not only do we see His character, but we see His results. In John 42... Job 42, verse 2, it says, I know that you can do everything, O Lord, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Those are kind of the results. Those are the results that I like to see. Don't you? The Lord says, I mean, Job says to the Lord, Lord, I know that you can do everything, and nothing that you purpose to do can be withheld from you. Those are the type of results that we like. Lord, whatever you do will never be stopped. So, we know the Lord's character. We see His results and we see His promises. In Romans 4, verse 20 and 21, it says, Do not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but be strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and be fully convinced that what He has promised, He is also able to perform. God's character God's results, and God's promises. Why is this so important? Because where we're at today in our study in the book of Acts is living testimony and proof that God's promises come true. In Acts 27, verses 24 through 25, the angel of the Lord appeared to Paul on that ship as it was about to be shipwrecked. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And Paul says, Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. The promises of the Lord. 
They never fail. You can bank on them 24-7. You can cash that check at any time. The things that are found in the Word of God, you can take hold of those things. Don't forget how the Lord has provided for you because we all get into situations where we're like, Lord, I don't see how this is going to happen, yet His track record is perfect. Perfect! We don't know anybody else on the face of this earth in the known universe that has a perfect track record of doing what He says He's going to do. And not only that, supplying every single thing He says He's going to supply. So why do we find ourselves questioning whether God is going to take care of the situation or not? That He's going to make good on His promise. It's because Satan comes in to try to rob us of our joy, to rob us of, of, of our peace. And did God really say that? Or it doesn't look like God's really going to come through for you and, uh, you know, whatever it might be. And we get sidetracked and we lose sight of the, the, the end result and the goal that the Lord has set before us to, to, to run to and to get to and the things that we need to accomplish. Because sometimes we get caught in the midst of the storm. And you remember we talked about that. That we can lose track of the promises of God in the midst of the storm when we forget that God is still in charge of our itinerary even though we're in this side track or side route or whatever it might seem like. This storm that came out of nowhere. We think that God isn't aware or God doesn't know or He won't work it out for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. It's time for us to be reminded of how good God is. It's time for us to be reminded that if we are questioning God's faithfulness, then we have a problem. And that problem needs to be dealt with. And I'm included in that just as you are. Because we all go through times where we question whether God is going to make good on His promises. Yet, And we ignore, like I said, that perfect track record. So Lord, help us. Lord, help us. To stay focused on the things of the Lord. And to know that He's going to take care of it. And then write those things down. When you start to feel like you're tripping out and you're going, Oh man, I don't think this is going to work out. Flip back a couple pages and be like, This time, at this place, in this situation, God did it again. And then 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 did it again. And you look back until the day that you were born and you find out that God has taken care of you every single step of the way. And He's not just going to be like, Oh, good luck. Oh, you're 49 and a half now. See ya, buddy. Or you know what? You're 18. You're on your own. Or whatever it might be. Sorry, you're retired. You're 65. You're on your own, man. You don't even have to work anymore. You know, God doesn't do that. From the moment that you are born until the moment you breathe your last breath, the Lord is there. And He is taking care of us. And He is going to provide for us. So no, without a shadow of a doubt, point number one this morning, God's promise comes true. And what He promised Paul, you're going to stand before Caesar and you're going to get to Rome, has absolutely happened. So in verse 16, (laughs) and when we had arrived in Rome, it's pretty nice how that works out. Point number two this morning, not only do we have God's promise comes true, we have a heart's desire comes true. This is point number two. A heart's desire comes true. Acts 19 verse 21, it says, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit. This is Luke writing. Remember, he's documenting all of this. Paul purposed in the Spirit, and when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. 
So if we look back on, uh, on just the context of, of this large book of Acts, and go back to Acts 19.21, he says, on his way to Jerusalem, Paul says, after I get to Jerusalem, I have a desire. I have a purpose. I'm purposing in my heart. I need to see Rome. Paul, being the evangelist that he was, no doubt thought, what a great place to drop off the gospel bomb at. Right there in Rome. In the center of the known universe. The center of the networking capital of the world. Paul had a desire to see Rome. In Psalm 37 verse 4 it says, Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. I think that it is important for us today to remember how the Lord answers our prayers and gives us the desires of our hearts that come from delighting in Him. It doesn't just randomly say, God will give you the desires of your hearts because we know how wicked our hearts can be and thank God it doesn't say that. You desire for that person to have a flat tire that cuts you off? Your wish is my command. Off the side. God doesn't give us just the desires of our hearts. In Jeremiah 17, 9 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Because this is how it works. This is the way that it works. The heart that delights in the Lord will find itself desiring the good things that please the Lord. The heart that delights in the Lord will find itself desiring the good things that please the Lord. And in Matthew 7, verse 11, Jesus said, speaking to the people that were there and, and, and that were listening, He said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now, I believe, and I think we all could agree on this, that Paul had a desire to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome. He purposed in his heart. He said, I'd love to see Rome after going to Jerusalem. However, desire is not enough. Desire is not enough, even as it is not enough for us following Jesus today to determine whether or not we are to do something. I can't just say, well, I desire to do something, so that must mean I should do it. Well, what do I mean? Well, you can have a desire to do something, but never have an open door to do so. Right? Man, I really desire to do this, but there's just never an open door. There's never an opportunity. Remember back in Acts 16, verses 6 through 7. It says, Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had gone, uh, come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So the disciples had a desire to go here, a desire to do this, but it said the Holy Spirit said no. So just having the desire doesn't mean that's something you're supposed to do. Because I can desire to do something, but that desire does not necessitate a calling by God to do so. So there's a great check and balance system from the Word of God. Desire and open door. If I'm desiring to do something, but I have no open door to do so, then I need to pray to God for my desires to be in line with His desires. In 1 Corinthians 16.9 it says, Paul writing, For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, sometimes you'll have a desire to do something that's not evil. That's a good thing. 
We should have more of those kind of desires, right? We'll desire to do something that isn't inherently like wrong. It's something we've prayed about. It's something we're seriously considering doing because we feel led by the Lord to do so, but the Lord doesn't open the door. Actually, He locks and bolts it and says no. The answer is no. So again, we pray, Lord, give me the desires that align with your desires. Because how could the Lord say that He doesn't want me to preach from that stage? How could He say that to me? I mean, preaching the Bible. Well, listen, that's a great thing. Preaching the Bible, being on that stage and preaching. Oh man, that's great. Cool. But if there's not an open door to do so, maybe the Lord has something else for you to do. There are times where you've been praying and you feel God calling and He opens the door for you. And you're like, Hallelujah! Yes! You start singing and dancing and open door. But now there's a roadblock in front of the door by Satan. And this is where peace kicks in. The next part of your check and balance system. Do I have a desire? Do I have an open door? And is there peace about it? You have the right desire. You have the open door. But now there are adversaries, hindrances to the work the Lord is calling you to do. And that's why in Philippians 4, 6-7, through 7, as we studied in house groups on Thursday night, it says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So, desire, open door, and peace. Now, sometimes the Lord will open a door, but Satan roadblocks it. That's where peace kicks in. Lord, you've given me this opportunity, and now all these things start coming. No, 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 no. This is where the peace of God kicks in. Because usually when God calls you to do something, it's the exception to not have opposition. It's the exception to not have something coming against you. So knowing what to do comes all the way back around and down to having a right heart with the Lord. A right heart with the Lord. You might, well, how does that go full circle? Remember, Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of the heart. The heart that finds itself desiring the things of the Lord will be desiring to do the things that are good. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So it wasn't just a heart's desire comes true, but the right heart's desire comes true. Remember God's promises come true? And then a heart's desire. Paul had the desire in his heart. Lord, I need to go to Rome. Did he have a desire? Yes. Did he have an open door? Yes. Did he have a peace about it? Yes. There was nothing hindering him from doing that. Did he take some side, you know, detours and things? Yeah, but what was the thing that never changed? God's promise. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to stand before Caesar. And there's nothing going to change that. I think for us, we need to be in that place of having a right heart that desires the right thing so we can delight ourselves in the Lord and He'll give us the things that we desire. We delight ourselves in the Lord and we'll find ourselves desiring the good things that please God. And this was one of those things for Paul. And I think this is amazing how it works out. So when we had come to Rome, verse 16, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul was under house arrest, loosely chained to a soldier which would be replaced every hour. 
I mean, talk about a great opportunity for witnessing. Can <laughs> you imagine that? Paul, the apostle, loosely chained to a new Roman soldier every hour on the hour. I could just picture them as Paul's chained there looking over at the Roman uh, soldier and saying, hey, so what are you up to? What's going on? And every hour, a new witness opportunity would be chained to Paul. I just can't help but laugh at that. <laughs> because it's like, hey, um, have you heard of Jesus? Every guy comes in. Hey, have you heard of Jesus? You know, by the time the evening rolled around, your gospel message would have been perfected. That didn't work too well last time. Let's try it different this time. In verse 17, And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. And so when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, Though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Verse 18, Who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was, uh, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel... I am bound with this chain. So as Paul's custom was, he always went and tried to go into the synagogue or where the Jews met. And since he couldn't leave his house, he called the Jews to him. And that's what he did first here, connecting with the Jews first in the city of Rome. And not knowing what they knew of his situation, he gives them a little introduction to why he was there in Rome. And then in verse 20, he says, For the hope of Israel... Paul truly loved his countrymen. He truly loved them. I mean, there's no way around it if you've studied with us, you know, to the point where he writes in, in Romans 9, verses 1 through 5, he says, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have a great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. I mean, you hear what he's saying? I would be cut off from God so that my friends and my family and my country could know Jesus. Would it be that the Lord would stir our hearts for the lost in our families, in our city, in our state, in our country, and in our world? I mean, for Paul to say, I would be cut off to save them. What a perspective. May it be ours, at least a little fraction of that perspective, to see people come to know Jesus, even if it costs us. And they said to him, we neither, the Jews said, we, verse 21, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. And this is a very telling statement of the accusations of the Jews in Jerusalem and Caesarea. As you remember, the whole reason that Paul's in Rome is because the Jews were making up these lies and trying to kill him and all this kind of stuff. You remember he went before Festus and Agrippa and Felix. The argument held no water. And that's why they didn't send anything ahead to Rome because they knew that they were absolutely out of their depth. How ridiculous their argument must have been that they didn't send letters ahead. So the Jews didn't hear anything of Paul's situation or even of what Paul was going through or who he was but in verse 22 it says but we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect as we know as this way or christianity we know that it is spoken against everywhere so when they had appointed him a day verse 23 many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of god persuading them concerning jesus from both the law of moses and the prophets from morning until evening 
man, if I only had a podcast of that Bible study. He only had the Old Testament to tell people about Jesus. You believe how crazy, if we think about it, oh man, we got the New Testament, the life of Jesus, and, the, and the, the epistles that Paul wrote, and all these things based upon the death of Jesus, etc. He taught them of Jesus, the Messiah, from the Old Testament. And it says in verse 24, some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. And this is always the case. You either believe in Jesus or you do not believe in Jesus. There's no middle ground and no place of neutrality when it comes to believing in Jesus. It's the same for us this morning. You either believe in Jesus or you disbelieve. You're either walking with Him or you're not walking with Him. But in John 1 verse 12 it says, But as many as received Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. So this group that met with Paul in his house, why is it that some of them disbelieved? Why is it that some of them believed and others did not? They heard the same message, filled with the same facts. Yet it would seem that some of these had a mind already made up about these things called Christianity. As you remember back in verse 22, we've heard people say bad stuff about Christianity. And I'd have to ask, heard from whom? Heard from whom? And isn't that the key? Who told you that? Or who did you hear that from? So often we can quote and quote here from all the wrong places and all the wrong people. If we truly want to know something about someone, the best place to start would be with the people closest to that person. So often there are things, because I can't tell you how many times in my own life, and maybe you've had the similar, you know, the same kind or similar experiences where people have been saying things about me, or about my family. Things that weren't the real truth. Or they would say, oh, you want to know the real truth or the real reason why Garrett is this or Garrett is that? I mean, it's, I have to tell you, it's truly quite the phenomenon when other people know more about you than you know about you. You know? Have you ever found that to just be so interesting? I know I have. Yet those people only needed to ask me or ask someone that knows me and they would know the truth. And so often we hear, I heard about that Christianity, or I heard about that Jesus, or I heard about, well, from whom did you hear about those things from? I mean, from whom did you you hear those those things that they're not even true? Go to the source, or go to the person closest to the source, and you'll probably find that a lot of those things that you've heard, that you thought are just off the wall and crazy, and not right, and things that you thought, I'm not into this, are not true. If you want to know the truth, Go to the Word of God. If you want to know the truth, go to the people that know the Word of God. Don't just listen to the people that have something negative to say. They usually have some sort of predisposition for some reason or another. In verse 25, it says, So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers which is pretty cool. Paul acknowledges the Holy Spirit was the inspiration behind the Scriptures, which is good for all of you theologians and wanting to know what the Bible says about the inspired Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I can just imagine hearing the pin drop when, when Paul is in this mixed group. Some people believe, some disbelieve. And he says, 
I guess the Bible spoke rightly about our fathers. Or, excuse me, I guess the Bible spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our, our fathers, saying, verse 26, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Whoa. This is insane. People close their ears. Nah, 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 nah. Not listening. You know, like you did when you were five, when your friends were trying to tell you something and you were trying to be silly. And do that with God. No, 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 no. The Lord says, look at this. No, I'm not going to see it. There is none so blind that will not see. Closing their eyes to the things of the Lord. Even if it's right there. Smacking them in the face. Closing their eyes. Because they'd rather hear the negative things that are usually untrue about God's Word. I will tell you right now, all untrue about God's Word because it never fails and it is absolutely pure and holy and righteous. They rather listen to the negative things about God's Word and they'll turn a blind eye to all the evidence. I am a kind of guy that likes to look at the facts. You know, a lot of people want to say this and say that and feel this and feel that, but it's like when it comes down to the facts found in the Bible, examine them for yourself and find them to be true. Therefore, he says... Let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul, then Paul, it says in verse 30, dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And this is where the Lord sought fit for Luke to end his record of the early church fulfilling what Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And thus concludes this morning before Kings part 7, chapter 28 and the book of Acts. And Acts 29, however, is the longest running chapter in the Bible as the church and includes you and me today as we continue what began there in that upper room as the Christians waited upon the Lord. So guys, we have made it through Acts, our first book, and studying at Vision City Church.